and welcome to Human Leadership, a podcast full of science-backed and practical knowledge and insight designed to help anyone who leads people unleash the human talent we need for the next era of work. I'm Suzanne Jacobs, an organisational behaviour and performance expert who's worked as part of senior leadership teams for over 30 years and conducted more than a decade of research into the neurobiological drivers of intrinsic motivation and trust. In each episode of Human Leadership, I'll take you through what you'll need to make your workplace human fit. And to help me along the way, I have roped in my sister Chloe, a brilliant educationalist who also knows just a thing or two about leadership. And together, we'll guide you through everything you need to know to become a better human leader. In this episode, we're going to talk about cognitive advantage, including what your brain needs to perform at its best, how to get more done by doing less, how to tap into your best ideas, and how to boost your energy and focus. Hello, Chloe. Hi, Suzanne. I saw your painting on Instagram, the watercolour. It's brilliant. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, no, I've been doing... um, I I, I told you, didn't I? I started an art course, actually, um, which has been brilliant. It's something completely new, and it's so good to be doing something creative. Oh, that's wonderful. And this actually links very nicely into this episode in which we're talking about cognitive advantage what your brain needs to perform at its best, which sounds great in principle, but what is cognitive advantage? Well, it's uh, my term for what I believe to be the new competitive advantage. Um, this, This new era of work, this fourth industrial revolution, requires at the heart of it human talent. Our human talents our potential for creativity, adaptation, cognitive flexibility, connection. But in order to be able to tap into those, we've got to be able to know how to use our brain wisely and to be able to apply the knowledge of how it works best. And at the moment in, in this world of work that that has evolved to, to this point, we're, we're just not doing it. The world of work at the moment is it's time and attention poor. But we're bombarded with a, a suffet of, of information. We've got this always on, this busy, busy, busy culture and approach to work, this present presenteeism, um, you know, way of way of being. And which is really interesting because actually we're not designed to be on all the time. And presenteeism actually costs organisations six times more. In fact, I think it's probably even more than that, but the research says around six times more than absenteeism. And the reason for that is when we are you know, exhausted, when we are overwhelmed, overworked, long hours, always there, always on, we, we just can't access our true cognitive performance, our learning capability, our creativity. And we make mistakes. We inject risk into the system. So there is more cost to being at work 
with a brain that's offline than simply being away from work if you're if you're absent. You know, this this conveyor belt of back-to-back meetings, endless stream of emails, and, and of course other messaging um, devices. It, it's it's just it's just too much. And and I just just sort of want to refer back to to your world, Chloe. I mean, I'm talking here about the, the corporate world, but I'm also acutely aware of how the teaching world is with the sheer volume of work, targets, planning, and of course that's on top of actually teaching. And it, and something that I was acutely aware of as it amplified to an absolute extreme through through the global pandemic. And it's so easy for, for us to look on the outside and think all's well, but there's a stark reality. There's a stark reality of, of lost productivity and burnout in our working world. So when you were teaching, how, how did you get the space to get everything done? Oh, a very good question. And um, I don't... <laughs> I don't think I ever really did. Um, it was almost like I was continuously chasing my tail. Um, I taught my lessons. Then at break times, generally had to um, chat to students about various things. I quickly looked at my emails. Um, lunch was a very similar picture. Uh, sometimes I had a meeting. Otherwise, I'd have uh, enrichment clubs to lead. And then it would be continuous at home uh, very similar with marking, planning, report writing, for example, and it, it just the conveyor belt or the uh, the gerbil wheel going round just is was just constant. To be honest, I yeah, I I I didn't really ever feel that I had the space to get everything done. No, and I, I think you know that picture you paint. I think it's across every industry through the world of work. You know, it's the El, El Desco lunch, the grab and go, never really catching up and chasing our tails. I, I mean, did you ever, did you ever catch up? Did you ever feel a sense of, of control at any, any point? <laughs> no, to, to be honest, I, I never felt I really, truly w- was on top of everything. Um, it was just a matter of juggling everything that needs to be done the best I could. Um, I have been known actually to get up at 1am um, and mark for a couple of hours to try and try and cheat time. I think is the best way I can put it. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting expression, cheating cheating time. Um, yeah, really really fascinating. And and I and I know I know how incredibly hard you and and and, and all the teachers are working, but also how everybody is desperately trying to to keep up, catch up. Uh, and so much of work is is not actually done at work, you know, in the, the so-called nine to five, which, you know, is, is non-existent ultimately. But I mean, you're, as I say, you're, you're, I mean, you're not unique. I hear this with the teachers I work with. I work, I, I, you know, the corporate world, I'm hearing this. And how were you exhausted? I mean, how often were you just, you know, f- so fatigued and so exhausted? Um, it it was constant. It would, it was, it did feel all the time. Um, but like I said, I, it's hard because I absolutely loved my job. I love teaching the students and seeing their development, but it was, um, yeah, I was tired all the time and the demands just kept on increasing. Um, and to be honest, it wasn't about the money. Um, you know, if, if I had, 
if I could put forward to the senior management and the head teachers and the government, etc., a price tag, it would have actually been more time and greater control over my time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? That new new price tag of, of autonomy and control, because I think I think how we use our time and our energy and our attention needs to be it needs to be managed really wisely and carefully. We're not we're human. We're not we're not superhuman, and and to be able to perform at our best, we need to be able to feel in control of our time, just as you were saying, and that that sense of being able to integrate all the priorities in our world, which includes includes meaningful work. So do you think we can actually get more done by doing less? Yeah, great question. And uh, yes, I do. Um, because we need to work with our biology and not, not against it, not against our own wiring. We are not designed to keep going. We have, I mean, if you, if you sort of imagine, and we'll talk, talk about our cognitive capacity at the moment. So if you think about it a bit, having a little bit like a fuel tank, the fuel tank will will run out. And actually it runs out pretty quickly when you're doing cognitive tasks, things that require, you know, new learning, things that may be a bit more complex. And particularly if it's got emotion attached to it, we use up that fuel tank pretty quickly. And we need to be able to recharge and refuel based around our own natural natural biological energies ebb and flow i mean officially it's it's not it's an altradian rhythm that we have we're all very different we have to understand when that ebb and flow happens but the key here is that in order to be able to sustain performance and to use our cognitive capacity over the day at its best this is sort of the cognitive advantage bit is that we have to pulse with our energy. We have to take breaks. We have to refuel. And and we can do it in as little as two to three minutes, but we have to be able to do it. And, and, you know, I I get a lot of people saying, well, look, I can't just take a break. I mean, for goodness sake, I mean, I've got so much to do. I've got so much to get on with. And and what would other people think? And and obviously, I appreciate in, in your world, you can't just take a quick nap in the classroom. But if you did start taking breaks, I mean, I'm talking about real breaks, just to, to sort of downtime on the brain type breaks. What what would what would worry you most about doing that? And what do you think other people would think? Yeah, well, to be fair, I'd love a sleep plot at school. Um, but on, in all seriousness, um, I'd I'd be so worried about not getting everything done. Um, and also if, if I took, you know, more breaks, others may think that I'm not working hard enough. I know, isn't it interesting that we equate to taking time out, which actually the research and science shows increases performance and quality of work in our, in the sort of the workplace culture, we label it as, as, or at least our perception and our belief that others will think we're not working hard enough. And of course, yeah, like you say, the fear of, of not being able to get through everything with sort of huge workloads. So it can be both countercultural and counterintuitive when you've got to get a load of stuff done. And, and the, but these are thoughts and they're beliefs and we need to test out the validity. There are always time, you know, times when we have to get through, you know, an enormous amount of work. 
But the more we have, the more we actually need to be able to pulse with our energy. You know, I, I, I hear and have heard over my entire career, you know, people who have pulled the all-nighters, like, like the sort of like kind of bad of, badge of honour or a badge of achievement. But with no breaks, this, this, this sort of constant, relentless work does nothing but put risk into the workplace and risk to our health. You know, as I've said, more mistakes, quality drops. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, new, it's great to see workplaces being designed around um, optimal working. And I, and I know that there are places like rest, rest rooms and nap pods and breakout rooms. But even where I know they've been brought into offices, there still needs to be that culture of permission to actually even even use them. Um, I mean, just to bring it to life in terms of the power of recharge, you know, after many years of research, I mean, this is coming from NASA. So NASA scientists found that power naps were able to boost their pilot's performance by 34%, improve alertness by up to 54%. And they determined, I mean, NASA determined that the optimal power nap should be anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes. And that actually fits quite interesting, quite well with the old tradium rhythm research. But as I say, we can get these refuel black breaks in the space of two or three minutes, but we have to do it in order to be able to maintain health and performance. So what is the cost of the way we are working? I mean, we are still working and producing so why do we need to change our approach? Yeah, it's a great question, isn't it? So, so where's the burning platform here? Well, the burning platform is well, it's it's almost a it's it's cinder cinder point really. There's a, a huge cost that we're experiencing to our health, to our society, um, obviously performance itself and productivity, innovation, and of course a, a knock on uh, economic cost as well. Um. If, we, if we're not managing our energy wisely, an exhausted, overloaded brain simply cannot access our talents for, for innovation or creativity. And we can find ourselves in this constant conflict between work and our priorities outside of work as well. So I don't know how, if you ever, did you ever, whenever you sort of took a break from school, did you ever... Did you ever find yourself getting ill for the first week or so? Oh, absolutely. They were called the half-term colds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you get it with students who cram for exams, but you also get it in the, in the corporate world because we're not designed to go at this so-called 100 or 110%. No idea what that looks like. But we, we keep going and going and going and going. And what we're doing is we are raising levels of things like cortisol in our system and whilst that will beat off, um, uh, you know, some of the germs that enter because our immune system is, 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 is dropping while we're in this state, as soon as we stop, as soon as we relax, those pathogens that have entered into our system, our cortisol drops down again, that stress hormone, and actually they have field day. So we can feel sort of almost, well, the cold, flu-like symptoms. Um, this, this, it's just not it's not a good way of, of, of being you know there's no sports player and of course you as a you know elite sports player and um, 
you know, leader of many sports teams, you you know that there's no sports player that would ignore refueling and rest breaks in their, you know, in their overall regime for excellence. So why do we why do we do it at, at work? You know, workplace stress has been increasing, long hours, uncontrollable workloads are cited as major factors of burnout and health risk. I mean, you just have to look at this impact in terms of things like um, Chernobyl. Where after the event, this horrific event, investigators concluded that fatigue due to 13-hour work shifts was one of the leading contributors to the human error that led to the power plant explosion in 1986. And it's a disaster the World Health Organization predicts will result in deaths of over 4,000 people due to radiation. And look at doctors. You know, during their residency, doctors usually work about 80 to 100 hours a week. And then post-residency, about 60 to 80 hours a week is, is pretty typical. So just think about this. This is not only a huge risk to their own mental and physical health. They're making decisions with a compromised level of cognitive fuel. And that's that directly affects lives. <laughs> It's so interesting, isn't it? It's almost like we've regressed from the philanthropists of the Victorian era that introduced bank holidays, half-day closing and 10-hour workdays to improve the working conditions in the Industrial Revolution. And yet now we seem to never stop. I know, it's, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, you know, that we've actually regressed from, from that point. And there are, I mean, there are... Um, Industries that have actually looked at this and have looked at the research and, and bought, um, you know, over and above NASA, have bought in some policies and some procedures to actually be able to support or mitigate the risk against this this presenteeism and, and always on. So, I mean, take lorry drivers for example. They, I mean, they've got limited hours of service. They have the tacos in the in the cab because one of the pieces they that was worked out with the research a little while ago actually was that truck driver fatigue is a serious threat to public health um sorry public safety i should say it's a it's a disturbingly common cause of fatal truck crashes and yet you know it's 100% preventable and and what the research revealed is that truck drivers and like most of us often can't assess their own fatigue levels accurately and so we and they can be completely unaware that their that our performance has degraded and look at pilots you know they have an enforced regulation around limiting flight time and pilot rest, and that's been in place since the 1940s. The federal aviation industry continues constantly to evaluate the latest research on the effects of things like time zone changes on circadian rhythm and um, changes to, to be able to mitigate pilot fatigue. It's, it's absolutely at the forefront of their safety research. So for me, this is about actually understanding and applying this because we've got to be able to learn how to take our foot off the pedal to go faster and sustain performance. With those key ideas in mind, is it possible to boost our energy and focus and gain cognitive advantage? Definitely. I mean, and some of these things are incredibly simple. That said, they're simple, they take practice, and they take a a commitment to to change, there's some discipline about bringing them into our lives. 
we, we go through the tools and techniques in in detail in the ebook that accompanies this. But in essence, it's about working with our biology to be able to, as leaders, lead humans and establish the conditions that means that we're able to work and contribute at our absolute best. You know, to be able to really tap into and leverage the amazing skills we all carry around with us. Um, without them being suffocated by the way we've evolved working practices. So one of my absolute favourites is um, all around multitasking. So so let me let me ask you, Chloe, how good are you at multitasking? Oh, to be honest, I'm absolutely rubbish. Um, unless unless I'm doing something that I can do as I say, with my eyes shut. So, um, so for example, playing tennis with a student while instructing another one across the other side of the court. No, you're, you're absolutely right. We cannot multitask. At, at least that's to say you, you can't do two co- competing cognitive tasks because our attention is sequential. It can only fully pay attention to one thing at a time. And yet we are constantly multitasking uh, in the workplace, you know, whether that's between email and writing the report or reading something or whatever it might be, we're constantly switching our attention and we, we, we're overloading our, our cognitive capacity. It's, you know, it's why texting and, and driving, for example, is is even worse than, than driving while drunk. So I just want to see if I can run an exercise with you, Chloe. So go with me on this one. I just want to be able to see if I can bring this to, to life. Okay. So might not work on a podcast, but we're going to see and see what happens. So have you got something close to hand, anything at all that you can read, just a paragraph? Yeah, I've actually uh, got an, an email through from um, one of Immy's activities. I'll read that. All right. So read that. So I want you to read it. I want you to pay, you know, I want you to really absorb it because obviously it's important. Um, but while you're reading it, I'm going to give you some really simple sums. Now, you're a mathematician. These are going to be super super easy. But I want you to add them up in your head and do that while you're reading the email. Is that okay? Yeah, no worries. Let's All right, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a head start. Start, start reading. Okay. Okay, so here come the sums. One plus one. Two plus three, four plus five, three plus two. All right, stop. Because I've done, <laughs> because what I'm doing is I'm just looking at the same line on my email, trying to work out the sums at the same time, and I can't actually work out either. No, no, you can't, can you? You you, lit, you literally because your brain it just doesn't know which one to pay attention to, so it pays attention to nothing. So you get you get nothing done. So we can if we're constantly switching our attention, it's called the cognitive cost of switching phenomena. You know, not only does it literally stop us paying attention, absorbing information, we um, it it actually raises our stress levels, raises cortisol, and it reduces our cognitive efficiency. So you literally get slower, and your quality literally drops through the floor. But it, we get slower by about. 25 to 40%. I mean, everything takes so much longer if, you, if you're going to do that. So that's one of my absolute favorites. You know, we've got to practice single tasking. But the other, other pieces around here are things, 
you know, like being intentional with our attention. So this is this goes back to what I was just saying about the single tasking. It's about giving ourselves permission to place our attention on the things that are most valuable and, and working on those. It's about taking breaks. It's about recharging and refueling. Sometimes we'll need a longer break. Of course, we all need a good night's sleep. Sometimes we just need a couple of moments, sort of that pen down moment. Just whether you close your eyes or look out of the window mindfully, just take some time to refuel. I think for me as leaders, it's about working with your team about how to establish the right conditions for this cognitive advantage piece, you know, using our brains wisely. I mean, this is flexible working. Flexibility provides autonomy to work where, when, and and how that not only allows us to be in control of all our life's priorities, but also to be able to take control over our, our day so that we can you know, manage our energy through the day and not just our time. I think the other thing for me is, is this social and cultural shift. You know, we used to say, hi, how are you to people? And we get, we'd often get the slightly benign, yeah, I'm fine back. So often now you get, oh, I'm busy. And I'm always so interested in that because busy doing, doing what? Busy doesn't mean productive. We've got to throw this this sort of badge of honour out of the window. Because for me, time stretches to what we put into it. We need to manage our energy. We need to understand what conserves, preserves and optimises our, our cognitive fuel. And cognitive advantage includes everything from learning, creativity, problem solving. It's about health. It's about performance. And there is such a massive opportunity to rework work so that it's human fit. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Human Leadership in your podcast app. And if you have time, leave us a review or give us a rating. If you'd like to find out more about the subjects we discussed in this episode and access all the tools, you can do so in the little book of Cognitive Advantage, part of the Human Leadership series of ebooks available through my website, theseven.org.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with me about any of the subjects we've discussed, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email using Suzanne at theseven.org.uk. And that's Suzanne with an S and not a Z.